Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We trust that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. If someone were to ask you, what is a church, how would you answer them? And better yet, would your answer be based on your own thoughts or would it be based on God's word? You know, everyone seems to have an opinion about what a church is and what a church should be like, what a church should be doing. But, you know, really all that matters is what God says about what a church is, what it should be like and what the church should be doing. You see, if the church truly was designed and instituted by God, then He alone has the right to define it and describe it. Now, this is our 12th message in our series, Christianity 101, and we've been going through God's Word and highlighting the most basic yet essential doctrines of the Christian faith. And Today, I want to preach to you about the church. I want to show you what God says about the church that He designed and instituted. Now, the Bible presents to us the truth about what God has said concerning His church. And if we follow God's Word, we will know the truth. And because we know the truth, it will compel us to be members of a biblical church And then also we will be able to lead others to the truth about the church when we live in a day where so many are deceived about the church. Look with me in Acts chapter 2, and we've spent some time in this passage recently, but I want you to see Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 through 47 again. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now today I want to look at four truths presented to us in God's Word about the church. Four truths that will help us understand the church, help us to know that if we're a part of here and seeking to be a biblical church, and it will help us to lead others that we might know to be a part of a church that fulfills the mission and purpose that Jesus Christ has given to it. So today we're going to talk about the church. Will you pray with me? Father, speak to our hearts today. I pray that you'd guide us to understand what your word teaches about the church and help us to see from your word how you define it and what you say it should be like and what it should be 
doing. And, and Lord, ground us in truth today. I pray that you'd remove any deception. I pray that you would help us to plant our feet firmly upon your word and truth and guide others in it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Four truths about the church. Number one, I want to talk to you about the nature of the church. The nature of the church. Very simply put, what is the church? What is the church? We're talking about its nature. What is the church? Well, the word church in Greek is an important word. It's the word ekklesia, that word there that you see on the screen. And that word means a called out group or assembly. Ekklesia, the word church. It means a called out group or assembly. So the church is referring to a group that has been called out, an assembled group that are called out. Now this is very important because when we're talking about what the church is, this tells us that the church is a who and not a what. So really, it's better not to say what is the church. It's better to ask who is the church. As we learn from Scripture, the church is not a building. The church is not brick or mortar, floors or ceiling, tile or carpet. The church is not a what. The church is a who. Also, another question that we could ask, is the nature of the church universal or is it local? You say, I don't really understand what you mean by that. Well, some people ask, when the Bible uses the word church, is it talking about this in a universal sense or in a worldwide sense of all the believers everywhere? Or when the Bible uses the word church, is it talking about a local group of people in a specific locale, a specific community serving God? Well, the answer is both. And it really just depends upon the context. Now, the universal church, as some would call it, refers to all believers everywhere of all ages. Quite simply put, that there are those who have died who are followers of Christ. There are those who are yet to be born who will be followers of Christ. There are those right now on planet earth all across the world. We have People who are believers and who know Christ as Savior and are following Him. And one of the phrases that God uses to describe those people, in addition to being His children, is that they are the church. God has people all around the globe and every believer, no matter their nationality or the country or continent that they live in, every believer is a part of the body of Christ. Now, the local church simply is just a group of believers who live in the same area and they assemble together to fulfill the mission of Christ there where they live. They impact the world where they've been placed. Most scripture passages about the church refer to the local church. You know, the Bible talks about the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, the church of Rome. On and on we could go. The Various books of the Bible in the New Testament, these epistles were written to a local group of believers. And again, the church is a group that has been called out. Now, let's answer some questions as we're talking about the nature 
of the church. We're learning that the church is a who, not a what. We're learning that, yes, the Bible uses kind of that uh, dual understanding of the word church. There are times when it's talking about universally all believers. It says in Ephesians 5 that, that the Lord is preparing a glorious church. And He's doing that of all believers all around the world. And there are times like in Corinth and Rome and Ephesus and Thessalonica when it's specifically written to a local church and can be used certainly on a broader scale. The nature of the church, yes, in Scripture it's used in both a local sense and a universal sense. But let's talk a little bit more about what the nature of the church is because we've said it's a called out group. Let's answer some questions about that called out by who well it's a group that's been called out by God Acts 15 I love what Acts 15 and verse 14 says Acts 15 14 says Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name did you hear that to take out a people for his name that's the church a group that's been called out by God. Now, uh, in addition to this, uh, called out implies two aspects as I understand it. They're called out from, that's one aspect, and they're called out to. So there's the from and the to. What do you mean by that? Well, Scripture tells us that God has called out believers from the world. And that he has called out believers to himself. So when it says the church, a called out group, they've been called out from the world and from their sin, from their darkness, and they've been called out to God to be his own people, to be near unto him, to have fellowship with him, ultimately to be with him eternally in heaven. First Peter 2 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So from darkness and sin in the world to God and his light. So the nature of the church. The church is people, it's not a place. The church is who, not what. A fellow pastor I know in Alabama, who I've actually preached for before, went, went through a, a really difficult experience. Their church building caught on fire and it was a total loss. The church gathered together on the property where the building burned down and they had a, a worship service outside and I love what the pastor said, he said, our church wasn't destroyed. Hamilton Free Will Baptist Church, that's the name of the church. Hamilton Church is a group of people who love and serve Christ and no fire will put that out. You see, because the church is not a who, or a what, the church is a who. In Acts 5.11 it says, and great fear came upon all the church. Fear Upon the church. Acts 11.22 says, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church. Fear came upon the church. These tidings, this news came to the ears of the church. You see, buildings don't have emotions like fear. Buildings don't hear or see or speak, but people do. 
And the church has called out people from the world to Christ. We need to get back to a biblical understanding of the church. The church is people saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, called out to Him from the world into His light. And when we think of the church, faces ought to come to our minds, not walls, chairs, and floors. We are the church. We have been called out from this world. We have been called out to Christ in order to be His body, to be His messengers in Skokie and in our surrounding communities. Not only the nature of the church, but secondly, I want you to see the descriptions of the church. God uses many different figures, descriptions, analogies to describe His church. The church is referred to as an army of soldiers following the captain of their salvation, engaged in a spiritual battle. You'll find this in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 through 18. The church is an army. The church is referred to as a body with each member, each person being like a different part, a different body part of the body of Christ. You could find this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. Thirdly, the church is called branches. In John 15, drawing their life and nourishment from Jesus Christ, who is the vine. Fourthly, the church is referred to as a bride that is loved, adored, and being prepared by Christ the groom. Ephesians 5, 22-33. The church is a building or a temple that's being constructed by Christ. And each member, each person is, is like a different living stone. It's like a brick, a stone, a living stone that Christ is using to build His building, His spiritual temple. You're going to find this in Ephesians 2, verse 20 through 22, or 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8. The church is a family or a household with God as their father and each member, brothers and sisters in the family of God. Ephesians 2, 19, Galatians 6, 10, 1 John 3, 1 through 12. The church is a flock following Christ who is the good shepherd and we're the sheep. Of his pasture. John 10, 1 through 30 is the passage that tells us that. And then the church is a priesthood with each member, each person having direct access to God and are able to offer up spiritual sacrifices to him. And again, not physical sacrifices any longer, but we offer spiritual sacrifices of prayer and praise. And even the works that we do for the glory of his name are like sweet smelling incense that's spiritually offered up to our great high priest in heaven. 1 Peter 2, 5-10 through 10 tells us we are a royal priesthood. So many different descriptions are used for the church to describe their relationship to the Father and to Jesus Christ. Let me see if I can illustrate it maybe in this way. To Melissa, I'm husband. To Colby and Carly, I'm daddy. To David and Sandra Mann, I'm son. To Amber Winders, I'm brother. To many in this room, I'm pastor. And to others around our country and even some around the world, I'm friend. 
You see, just one term doesn't describe every relationship that you have, every relationship that I have, and so it is with the church. That one descriptive term is just not enough. I would encourage you to write down these descriptive terms that we've given to you today and those that are on the screen and the corresponding scripture verses and meditate on these truths. Let God show you who you are as his church. If you're saved, you can say, I'm a soldier in the army of Christ. I'm a member of his body. I am his bride that he loves. I'm a branch that's grafted into Christ. I'm a stone in his building. I'm a child in his family. I'm a sheep in his pasture. I'm a priest in his ministry. What a joy to know him. What a joy to be his church. And I would say to you and I that we need to be aware of imbalance. Only viewing ourselves as one or two of these descriptions when God included them all in Scripture because they're all important. They're all important. May we reflect and meditate on these truths often. Not only the nature of the church, the church is who, not what. The descriptions that are given to us of the church that help us to understand who we are. Thirdly, I want to talk to you about the leadership of the church. See, God is a God of order and design. And when he instituted and formed the church, he also organized it and put it together how it would be structured. Scripture teaches that Christ is the head of the church. Some would say, well, who's the head of this church and who's in charge? Well, ultimately, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is in charge. Ephesians 1.22, Ephesians 4.15, Ephesians 5.23, Colossians 1.8, all of them communicate this central truth that Jesus Christ is the head, the primary leader of the church. Now, Jesus Christ imparted to the 12 apostles and to the early church prophets that they would be the ones that he would use to lay the doctrinal foundation of the church. In fact, let me look at this with you. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. Turn there with me. Ephesians 2.20. We're talking about the leadership of the church. Ephesians 2.20 tells us, I'll tell you what, let's look at verse 19 and then we'll look at 20. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household, the family of God. And are, verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone. So those 12 apostles... The eleven and then Judas, which betrayed Jesus. And in Acts chapter 1, another apostle was chosen to have part in the ministry. All those that had seen Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And by the way, there are no current day apostles. An apostle is someone who actually witnessed, was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. There are no more uh, people who have the office of an apostle. And God, God gave, the Lord Jesus gave to the apostles the doctrinal foundation that they imparted to the church. It laid the belief system and the truth and the scripture was imparted to the early church apostles, the prophets. 
Ephesians 4.11 tells us that, and he gave some apostles and some prophets. These were those that laid the foundation of the church. But then God called what it says in Ephesians 4.11, not only some apostles and prophets, but some evangelists. Now, an evangelist is simply someone who carries the good news where it has not been yet. I think the most um, uh, corresponding word that we would understand today is a missionary, someone that would go to an unevangelized area, somewhere where the gospel has not been preached and pioneer the, the gospel to those who live in unevangelized communities. And then the Lord, it says in Ephesians 4.11, gave some pastor teachers to edify the body of Christ, to build up, the, to perfect or make mature the saints for the work of the ministry, to bring people into the unity of the faith and to mature uh, understanding and following of Jesus Christ. And it was God's design that every local church would have a pastor. And I think it's even clear from Scripture that as the churches grow, the churches grew, that there were even assistant pastors. And there were always seems to be a, a lead shepherd, a, a, what we maybe would call a, a senior pastor, a lead pastor today. But even there are others who were helping as kind of under shepherds to oversee the congregation and to help shepherd the flock. Ephesians 2.28 Titus 1.5, talk about there being pastors ordained uh, to lead and to shepherd the local church. The pastor and even those assistant pastors if, are those appointed and equipped by God to do the work of the ministry. You know, the, the office of the pastor is not just something you choose, that someone just says, hey, I want to do that, you know. One day I was in the, uh, at school and they had career fair and I walked over and there was army and there was medical and then there was, uh, there was insurance and then ministry. Yeah, to church work, pastoral ministry. Yeah, I'm going to pick up a brochure there. I think that's what I'm going to get into. No, you see, God is the one who appoints and equips a pastor to do the work of the ministry. Pastors must meet the biblical qualifications given by God. And he does that in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, Titus 1, 5-9. Beyond that, the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus instructed that deacons or servants should be appointed to help serve and meet the needs of the church. As the membership of the church was growing, the pastors were seeking to uh, to, to be concerned with the, the spiritual well-being, the teaching and preaching and prayer ministry of the church. But there was also some physical and tangible and material needs and logistical needs that were uh, arising within the church. And so God appointed that deacons should be ordained in order to serve and meet the needs of the church. A deacon also had to meet the scriptural qualifications to fill that office, the office of a deacon. You can read Acts 6, 1 through 7, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. But however, this does not mean that the members in the church had no part in the decision making of, for scripture reveals that the whole church was involved and in one accord in the decision making. So I'm not trying to make it 
look as if that there was just this dictatorial leadership among the pastor or, or even uh, the, the lead pastor and the assistant pastors. And it was just kind of this top-down mentality. And then everyone uh, just had to follow and submit in line as if it was just this dictatorial leadership. No, I, I don't believe that's the way it was. I believe that there was a leader and that the, the pastor and the group of pastors were leading as God instructed them. They were taking oversight of the ministry but that the whole church was involved. And in one accord, they were following Christ. Maybe this illustration or example will help. Think of it in business. In business, you have an owner. And in this case, if we're looking at it from the perspective of of the church, we would know that Jesus Christ is the owner. He's he's the head of the church. And then you may have a CEO or someone that under the owner who's who's accountable and underneath subservient to the owner and a CEO that according to the owner's wishes uh, helps to oversee the corporation. Under the CEO you have directors. And in that case, in our illustration, you'd have assistant pastors and elders who maybe would be appointed over a certain aspect of the ministry to help shepherd the flock. In a business model underneath directors, perhaps you'd have managers, those that would actually uh, be on the ground level doing the ministry work. I'm not suggesting that the pastor and the assistant pastors aren't on uh, the ground level, but the idea of managers, perhaps in this illustration, we could say with deacons are the ones that are, are out serving the body of Christ, giving the ability to to spend some time, extra time in prayer and study of the word to the shepherds of the flock. And then in this example, you have a team associates, those that are a part of the organization and the company and that are working with the, the managers and directors and the CEO to fulfill the business purpose that the owner has given them. And these team associates would be referred to as In our example, we could think of them as church members. Now, in any good organization, team associates, managers, directors, and the CEO, they all work together. And a smart CEO, a smart director, a smart manager, and even a smart team associate all know that we need to listen to one another and give everyone opportunity to have a part in the whole. Now, I realize that this illustration does break down dramatically because in the world they have this top-down model Whereas you rise in the corporate ladder, you're seen as successful when more people serve you and answer to you and do what you want, where it's the exact opposite in the church of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said the greatest among you will be servant of all. So in, in God's church, those that have the most responsibility are those that are serving the most. They're looking to serve others. They're not looking for people to serve them and people that they can tell what to do. They're looking for people that they can serve. The word minister means servant. The word deacon means servant. And a biblical understanding of the leadership of the church is not this top-down mentality 
where the pastor and the deacons just tell everyone what to do and then they obey them like slaves. That's not the biblical model. The biblical model is, is that the pastor, assistant pastors, deacons who meet those qualifications are looking for people to serve and they lead them through service. They lead through service. Not by trying to lord over people, but by trying to be their servant. You know, it's the, the, you know you found a, a person for leadership in the church when they don't want a title, when they, they, they don't want any credit, when they don't want people to listen to them and they don't want a class or a group or, or, a, or a ministry position so that now they can tell more people what to do and how things ought to be done. You know you need to run when you meet someone like that. But when you meet someone who says, you know, I just want to help out and I'm not really comfortable telling people what to do i'd rather just i'd rather just serve and i'd rather just help and i'd rather just be behind the scenes that's the person you want to sign up just right away hey hey can we sign you up for this because you're perfect you're a great leader because you're a servant you're a servant first corinthians 12 18 tells us that god has set every one every member in the body as it hath pleased him and that god is not the author of confusion first Corinthians 14.33 tells us, 1 Corinthians 14.40 says he wants everything to be done decently and in order. I think it is best summed up in the words of my former pastor that I highly respect, who shared that the church, under Christ as its head, he's the head of the church, is pastor-led, pastor-shepherd, deacon-served, and congregation-approved. Pastor-led, deacon-served, congregation-approved. And I think the heart of every true pastor and every true ministry leader is exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1 when he said, Be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Did you catch that short but powerful verse? Be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. You know what he's saying? I don't want you following me. I want you following Christ. I'm following Christ. And follow me to follow Christ. That's who I want you following. Christ. Can I just say very personally to you this morning? I don't want to lord over you. I don't want to try to be your dictator. I don't believe God has called me to do that. But I do believe God has called me to lead this flock. And I don't want you following me merely. I want to lead you to follow Christ. And I would ask you to follow me as I follow Christ. You know what I desire most in your life? I desire influence. That's what I would desire in your life is influence. And I would... Ask for your prayers because I'm going to give an account for this flock to Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, my and your supreme leader. We're seeking to follow him and I hope to be faithful in leading people to follow Christ. So we've talked about not only the nature of the church, the descriptions of the church, the leadership of the church. Finally, I want you to see the function of the church. What does the church do? What are the actions that the church, what are the activities of the church? What are they to be engaged in? 
Well, Jesus Christ, as the head of the church, declared in his word through the apostles how the church should function. The activities of the church are, are, as, are the following worship. The church gathered together for worship in Acts 2, 41 through 47. But it's very important that you have a biblical understanding of what worship is because Romans 12, 1 and 2 tell us what worship is. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And the last word of Romans 12.1, the word service, means worship. It's reasonable worship. So worship is not just singing, although that's one of the ways that we express. It's not just lifting our hands or clapping. Worship is offering all that we are to God. It's being a living sacrifice, fully surrendered unto Him. We express that through our giving, through our singing, through our testifying, through our studying and, and reading and obeying His Word. All those are aspects of worship. So the activity of the church, they worship, they gave all in surrender to God in worship of Him. The other activity is the preaching and teaching of God's Word. They, they gathered to study and share God's Word. They preached God's Word and taught it in large gatherings. They preached and taught God's Word in small gatherings, and they even shared God's Word one-on-one. The third activity is prayer. They gathered together to pray. The fourth activity is fellowship, where they gathered together. And the word fellowship means to share in. It literally means sharing in. It carries the idea of togetherness, of participation, of unity in the church. They shared their lives with one another. They were together. Fellowship is sharing in togetherness. The fifth activity is ministry. And the word ministry means service. That God gives to everyone in His church a different gift or gifts or different abilities. And they are to serve. Him and others with those gifts and abilities. Another act, the other activities they were engaged in were the ordinances of the church. And you can find some of those in Acts 2, 41 through 42, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 26. An ordinance was something that Jesus Christ commanded for them uh, to observe. Something like baptism. Baptism, the ordinance of Baptizing new converts, symbolizing the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Taking the Lord's table, as we would call communion, or the Lord's supper. Taking of the juice and the bread, symbolizing the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And remembering His second coming. That was what they were engaged in. And then, last of all, I would say they were engaged in evangelism. The activity of sharing the gospel the lost. These are the activities of the New Testament church. You see, we've been given a work to do. We're to be fulfilling our purpose. Christ has called us out. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church. He's called us out for a purpose. To be doing some very important tasks. We're to be worshiping. We're to be preaching and teaching, sharing His Word. We're to be praying together. 
We're to be fellowshipping with one another. We're to be ministering, serving. We're to be observing those ordinances that he left us. And we're to be evangelizing the lost. It's his church. He is the one who measures success. He's the one who has told us what we're to be doing. And my question is, are we functioning as he intends? I want to close with this. You know, Jesus actually wrote a letter to a church. He wrote a letter to several churches, but there's one in Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus Christ wrote a letter through the Apostle John to the church in a place called Laodicea. This church in Laodicea, they thought they were doing so well, but in reality they were in awful shape. They thought they were rich. Jesus said they were beggars. They thought they were seeing clearly. But Jesus told them they were blind. They thought they were clothed beautifully, but Jesus said they were naked. He told them they needed to turn from their ways because they were living in disobedience. And He called for them to repent and get back to doing the works that He had given them. You see, the only judgment that really mattered was Jesus' judgment because He's the head of the church. It doesn't matter if we think we're doing a great job, we think everything's going as it ought. The real question is, what does Jesus say? He's told us about the nature of the church. He's given us the descriptions of the church. He's laid out the leadership of the church. And he showed us the function of the church, what the church should be doing. What if Jesus wrote a specific letter to Living Hope Church? I wonder what he would say. But let's get even more personal than that because Living Hope Church is a group of people. And we're only as strong and as faithful as we are individually. What if he wrote a specific letter to me as the pastor? And a specific letter to you as a member of this church family? I wonder what he would say. He'd say, Pastor, what do we do with a message like this? This is what I would propose that you do. I want you to take a moment in prayer and ask God this question. Lord, will you show me if my life as a part of your church is pleasing to you? If you committed your life to Jesus Christ today or made a spiritual decision, we'd like to know about it. Please contact us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We hope you will join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.